bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Father, we worship your holy name. As we pause to reflect on your goodness and your holiness and your grace, I pray you'd help us. We're distracted people. So Lord, help us to have focus on you and you alone. Lord, I, I just confess that this moment is one of those moments. And so, Lord, I just confess that. I pray that you would help me. I just ask that you would remove my flesh and my selfishness. And Lord, for everyone in this room, I pray that all of us would remove our selfishness, our flesh, all the things that we're thinking about that have to do with ourselves and just help us for a moment understand and realize that you are worthy be given our attention and really our entire lives, Lord. So we pray that you would be with us in this moment, in this time. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take something away. May we not just come here and, and just be numb to the good news. Lord, I pray that it would be good news to our souls. May your word speak. May it be alive and active as it says it is. Lord, I pray that, that that's exactly what it be to each and every one of us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When I was a freshman in college, I lived in Penland. Back in those days, girls didn't live there. <laughs> what? It's, it's like a normal dorm for people to live in. And uh, one night, there was probably 15 of us in a room, which is probably not safe, but uh, we're all just hanging out, talking about all these different things and how we're going to take over Penland. We're like, we need to make sure that everyone knows that we run Penland Hall. And uh, at the time, we had this freshman class president. His name was Ben Prado. Um, and so we decided to call ourselves the men against Penland and Prado. We were MAP for short. And uh, for whatever reason, we didn't even know the guy. We were just like, he needs to go down with the rest of the hall directors and all these CLs. We were like, they're all the enemies and we're the best, okay? And so we needed to prove this in all these different ways. There's 15 of us. It's just like one of those things where you just start rolling with all the prank ideas that you've ever had in your entire life. And you're like, what if we did this to the hall director? And what if we took this like freshman class president and just put him in Oklahoma? Like how awesome would that be? Like, right? And it's one of those moments where we like started to take it pretty seriously. And so we start to make a PowerPoint. We're like, this is a serious deal. Like let's, there's 15 of us. Like we could probably start a student organization with at this rate. And so like, let's, let's kind of put this to paper. So it kind of becomes a legitimate thing, and uh, we're there like way too long, just laughing, and it's a good group of dudes. Like it, it was, it was amazing. It was so fun. One of those really fun nights that I can still remember to this day. But part of the reason why it was so memorable was because there was a knock on the door, and I don't know how long we'd been in there. At this point, we're like pretty stoked to take over the world. And um, this knock comes, and we send somebody like go get the door, and. Uh, the hall director opens the door on the other side, and he's like, hey, guys. And we're like, wow, what are the chances, right? Like, 
the hall director and then a, a few Baylor police officers as well. And um, turns out they had been there for a while. And they have really been listening to all of our conversation. And um, so there was this moment of like gasp where you're like, no stinking way. Like, you're kidding. Hey, guys, like, come on in. And they're like, no, why don't y'all come on out? And we're like, yes, sir. And so um, we all just file out of this room and, and like they kind of they search us all as if we were like, I don't know what they thought we had. And, and, and then they... Uh, they, my, one of my room, or not one of my roommates, one of the guys whose room we were in, he was a musician, and he, he, had, he like opened for the fray when he was a freshman in college. He's amazing, but he had like 30 instruments, so they went through every case, like looking for things, and we were like, hey, guys, it was all a joke. Like the whole PowerPoint, they're like, there's no way this is all a joke. You guys are the ones with the exit signs, like, you know, kind of deal. You know, they get mad about that. Do they still get mad about that? Anyways, yeah, everyone's like, yep, mm-hmm. <laughs> Still go to jail for that one. And so, uh, and I was like, guys, exit signs are in a different room. Y'all are in the wrong room. And so, uh, just kidding, just for clarity. Yeah, yeah, just in case the Baylor Popo's here. So, uh, all this is happening, and the reason why I start with that story tonight is because that was a pretty unique interruption to us taking over the world. And um, what we're going to look at tonight is straight out of Mark 2. And in Mark 2, verses 1 through 12, there's going to be a pretty significant interruption uh, to Jesus. And we're going to focus on this tonight. And I think uh, the reason why I want to focus on it tonight is because I think for a lot of us, this, might, this may be a familiar passage. I don't know. But it may hit home pretty quickly. There may be some things that you can take away immediately. But I want you to tune in with me. I think there's a far deeper uh, uh, meaning and understanding that we're going to get to tonight. So it may be really applicable early on, but I want you to stick with me through the entire thing. And we're starting a new series called Pebbles, and I'm not going to tell you what that means until the end. So you have to stay tuned to what the crud that means, okay? Why, where I got this crazy idea to name this next series Pebbles. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Mark 2, we're going to be in verses 1 through 12. But to paint the picture a little bit, in chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I don't have it on the screen. But in chapter 1, verse 28, Jesus is becoming famous. It says this in in chapter 1, verse 28, at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region. So Jesus is like, if he was on social media, he had blue check. Like Like it's getting around, this dude gets it. He is famous. And it goes on, uh, in verse 33, you see the whole city was gathered together at his door. Like the people are coming. And, and, and what it says is, is they were bringing him all that were sick and oppressed by demons. So Jesus is kind of you know, starting this fan club. And it goes on to say that uh, he rose early in the morning and he, he went away. And the disciples go to find him in verse 37. They found him and they said, everyone is looking for you. So Jesus is famous. They're like, hey, where have you been? The people want you. And I love what Jesus says. He says, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that's why I came. He's like, hey, it's good that I can heal and help people, but I came to tell people about the good news of the gospel. And so we're going to keep going, even though he's already like famous in this one town. It's amazing. So Jesus uh, is is traveling around, and he actually stopped going to cities through the next few verses. he, He stopped entering towns, and he started to go to desolate places, and people started to go to him. And so that paints the picture of where we're at. He, he, he was just in Capernaum. He was growing famous. Then he started to travel. 
people started to go to him. That's like extreme fame. And then that's where we land in chapter two, verse one. It says this. I'm going to read all the way through verse 12. We're just going to read the story through first. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 8, and immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them. So Jesus is like, immediately, why do you question these things? He reads their minds, which is absolutely nutso. Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately, the, the paralytic rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that everyone was amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. We never saw anything like this. In the Greek, it, it legitimately means they were all out of their minds. They were just like totally confused and amazed out of their minds. That's, I just love that. Blowing the mind is, what is the state that they are at. And so first I'd love to just start by focusing on the friends. Then we'll get to the paralytic. And then we'll finish by looking at the authorities. Okay? So as we look at the friends, what I want us to see is that there's a lot going on here. These friends, uh, these four friends are, are taking their paralytic friend to Jesus. And there's a lot that we can take note of here. This is, this is a crazy story. These four friends know that they need to take their paralytic friend to Jesus, but it's too crowded. But they don't let that stop them. They go around everyone and they, they, they make their way up a house. And just historically speaking, so that you know this, there would typically have been stairs on the side of a house or a ladder to get up the house. And so um, at this time, I mean, just think about it. There's four dudes that are trying to get a guy on a, a stretcher is kind of what's assumed, but it's really a mat that he probably slept on each and every day. And so they're taking this mat and they're lifting him up to get to the roof in order to get on the roof, in order to open the roof, in order to get to Jesus. That's the only way because it's too crowded. There's too many people already crowding around Jesus. And so we see this, and it doesn't just stop there. It's not just hard to get a paralytic or somebody on a stretcher up a roof. It's also crazy that to get through a roof, it's, it, it's like it was, uh, there was probably tile. There was probably branches. There was for sure a compacted earth that they would have had, had to get through. So they're having to get their hands dirty. They're going to have to move things out of the way. They're going to have to disrupt everything that's going on in order to get their friend to Jesus. And so my, my first thing I want to point out tonight is like, are we 
that good of friends? Like, are we willing to make sure that nothing can get in the way of us getting and taking our friends to Jesus? That there's no excuse, no expense, no cultural norm that, is, that can get in the way of us helping our friends get to Jesus. That's the friend we're called to be. And this is like an image, I, I feel like a lot of times uh, I could easily illustrate this with four people and we could you know, put somebody on a stretcher, but let's just think about how awkward it is in sporting events. When somebody needs to have a stretcher come, it stops everything. It stops an entire event, a game. Everyone's attention is on them. Everyone gets quiet. So think about this. Like the roof is caving in on the people inside the house and they're going to lower somebody. Like it's just taking all the attention. This is probably pretty distracting. I thought about also having somebody stand up and like do something distracting and then I realized that would be distracting. And so I can't do that. And so like this whole, this whole ordeal is uncharacteristic. But they don't care what the crowd thinks. And what I love is that Jesus doesn't either. Jesus welcomes interruptions when it means that people are seeking him. He doesn't say, hey, you, quit coming out of the roof. You're ruining my whole opportunity to preach to everyone. He doesn't rebuke them. No, he welcomes them. It's, I feel like the scene kind of stops as they have to kind of make sure that this paralytic can get through the roof. But Jesus welcomes him. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't get mad at them as we might get if somebody was distracting somebody at a, some sort of church event. So my first question tonight is just, are we willing to carry our friends to Christ at all costs? Because it's going to cost us something to care for others. That's the reality. No matter what it looks like, it's going to cost us something to care for others. But so many of us think about friendship as surrounding ourselves with like-minded, like-looking people, and we call it friendship. And I just want you to know, some people call that friendship. I would call that isolation. We just surround ourselves with people that make us feel good, that look like us, that have the same interests. We call it friendship. That's not friendship. That's isolation. We need to have friends that look different than us. The paralytic looks different than his four friends. And we need to have friends that we're taking to Jesus. And we need to have friends that are willing to take us to Jesus when we are in the position of paralytic. But first, I said I would focus on the friends. Are we willing to put the team on our back and cause a scene in order to get our friends to Jesus? It's the first thing that we can take away from tonight because it's going to cost us to care for others. So are we this kind of friend? That's a good question. I've been reading this book recently um, by Nabil Qureshi called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And to catch those of you up that weren't here with us last year, Nabil came to speak to us last fall and he spoke just 
the week after he had been diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer. And so he comes, and weirdly, he taught on setting your feet on the rock, which is what Logan just read, and I immediately started crying because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. I'm going to talk about Nabil. And so Nabil taught on that. If you want to go back and listen to it, it's really long, but it's worth every moment. So he comes and he tells us about putting his feet on the rock and our lives on the rock. Fast forward, he comes in the spring. He's going through chemo, radiation. He speaks to us again in the fall when the hurricane happened. He and I were texting. I was like, Nabil, can I do anything for you to help you? All these different things. We're bringing a truck. Remember we were in the Ferrell Center. We sent a truck to Houston to help the hurricane victims. He's like, no, bro. Thank you, though. All this happened. And then a few weeks later, he passed away. But Nabil, in his book... So Nabil's a, a, a close friend of Vertical. And Nabil in his book, I, I love what he says. He, he, he says this, he tells this story about how he's in the 10th grade. And this crazy girl, this crazy Christian girl, he calls her a loony. That's his words. He said, he said she turned around one day and she said, Nabil, can I ask you something? Her name was Betsy. She was an outspoken Christian in the grade. And she was a bit loony. He said, yeah, Sure. He said, I had no idea where this was going. Had she wanted a pencil, she wouldn't have asked me to ask for something. He said, she, she would have just asked for the pencil, right? Nor would I have uh, been one to ask for that matter. I always forgot my pencils. Anyways, she paused for a moment, stealing herself before asking. And this girl says to him, do you know about Jesus? And he says, now I knew she was loony. I knew she was crazy. We were in the middle of Latin class, all the same. I immediately gained respect for her. He said this, why had other Christians never asked me this question? They did think I needed Jesus to go to heaven, right? Were they content with letting me go to hell? Or did they not really believe their faith? That struck me that it took 17 years before somebody ever asked Nabil about Jesus but we're just afraid people are going to think we're crazy. But we don't realize that people are going to respect us. Because if it actually matters, then it's important for us to share it with them. Take them to Jesus. Tell others about Jesus. Ask them what they think, what they believe, and who the person of Jesus is. So the first question tonight was, are we good friends? Are we the kind of friends that these, this paralytic has? Do we have those kind of friends? Second Second person I want to focus on tonight or group of people I want to focus on tonight is the paralytic. When Jesus sees the faith of the friends, he said to the paralytic, we're in verse five, sorry. Jesus sees the faith of, his, of the friends of the paralytic. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And then he goes on in verse 11. He says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all. So they were all amazed. So let's just talk about the paralytic for a few moments. This paralytic needs Jesus. He heard the news. Jesus was famous, right? Everyone's coming to Jesus to be healed. And what happens is the paralytic is lowered in front of Jesus. And Jesus first says, your sins are forgiven. That might not strike us, but at the time, like, this is the first miracle that's been done where Jesus says something along these lines. He's healed in the past, 
Mark 1 leading up to Mark 2, and he hasn't done it this way. So Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He was making a statement. He's saying, son, your sins are forgiven. What I love about this moment, surely it was uncomfortable for people. Because everyone can see that the problem is that he's paralyzed. Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Boom, nothing happens. That doesn't change his his body. That doesn't change what he needs, right? No, what I love about this is that Jesus came into this world to address what we need. Not necessarily just the things that we want. And that might sound harsh for me to say. But the reality is, what the paralytic needed more than healing was forgiveness of sins. What we need more than anything else in this life, those are all just wants. Even healing, want. Nabil wanted to be healed, but he didn't need it. He needed the forgiveness of sins. That's the hope that comes only through Jesus himself. Let's just talk for a quick moment about getting gifts that we need instead of gifts that we want. Have any of you ever been given socks or underwear for Christmas by your like grandma or somebody? Yeah, those are the things that you need every year, right? From your grandma and mom or whoever gives you those things very consistently that you're like, thank you, but I'm not thankful. I'm not going to tell you that though, right? You receive these things that are needs. But the reality is like every time that you want something, Two years later, like, let's just think about it. Two years ago, I don't know what iPhone we were on, but most of us wanted it. We would have admitted what I want this year for my birthday or Christmas or whatever is I want the iPhone. Two years have passed. We're on iPhone 16, I think. I don't know what we're on. But I'm like, man, is this ever going to end? I want the new one, though. My wants are, are, are consistently changing. But the thing that I need is, is my underwear and socks. Like, that's the most consistent thing in my life. It's silly to think about, but, like, if we really, like, take a step back, we're like, okay, thank you, Grandma, right? And so those are the things that we need in order to live. And it's a silly illustration, but that's the way we tend to live is, is we, we tend to live for our wants, and we don't realize that Jesus is everything we will ever need. And so uh, I, I want to I point out one other thing about this paralytic is that when Jesus says this, he says, I forgive your sins. So he gives him first what he needs, and then he goes on to heal him. And he just gives him direction. He says, rise up, take up your mat, and go. And it's going to take some faith for somebody that has never moved to stand up. So I love this picture. But another thing I love is just the immediacy of it. And there's this this uh, famous preacher named Charles Spurgeon, kind of old-time guy, and he talks about the immediacy of this healing. And I'm going to read a paragraph. So I'm going to ask that you really, really draw near in this moment because there's some words that might be bigger. But here's, I'm just going to read what he says because I love it too much, and I can't say the same thing as clearly. So let's look at this. More, the most remarkable thing to the crowd, no doubt, was that this paralyzed man was healed at once. If ever a cure of paralysis is worked at any time, it is very rarely that such a thing occurs. I do not think it has ever occurred in an instant. 
This man is unable to move hand or foot, but Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. And he rises as if he had never been paralyzed. Every ligament is in its place. Every muscle is ready for action in a moment. You would have thought it would take a month or two and a good deal of rubbing and friction to bring the man's blood into healthy action to get him round and warm him to life again, but it did not. He only heard that strange voice which told him to do what he could not do, and he did what he could not do by a power that went with that message. And he rose up, and so he rose up and was healed at once. And here is the marvel of the gospel. A sinner hears the gospel, and all the sins of his whole life are upon him. But he believes that gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and all his sins are gone in a moment. And he is clean before the throne of God as if never a sin had defiled him. He was, up to the time of his reception of the gospel, an enemy to God by wicked works. But he accepts the testimony of God concerning his son Jesus. He rests in Jesus and his heart becomes as the heart of a child. In a moment, the stone is taken away and the fleshly heart is given. He becomes a new creation in Christ Jesus. The darkness disappears as the darkness fled before the decree which said, let there be light. Tis done, done in a moment. You see that Jesus pronouncing the freedom to the paralytic, the healing to the paralytic, the rise, pick up your mat and go, is as quick as, as, as the let there be light declaration when light came into this world. And it's the same light that comes into each and every one of our hearts as we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And that's the good news. Because it's really easy to jump to the friend and be like, we're going to leave here, we're all going to be better friends. We're going to leave here better friends tonight, right? Easy to jump to one of those friends. It's a lot harder to assume that we are all the paralytic. And we all need, first, the forgiveness of sins. Above all else. We're way quick to jump into this story and just be like, yeah, we're the friends. Nothing can get in the way. Let's be better friends, right? We don't realize that we're all the paralytic. And in fact, if we're all the paralytic and we're in Christ, then we've been healed as the paralytic has been healed. And so our lives should look different because of it. Everything in our life should look different because of this. And so that leads me to my question. If we're all the paralytic, for those of us that are in Christ, are we still living lame? Are we still living lame? Have we not responded to the call to Jesus to stand up and go? I think a lot of us have have seen that we've been given the forgiveness of sins, but our lives don't reflect the fact that we have been healed. Our lives don't reflect it. We're all the paralytic. Too many of us don't live like we've been healed, don't live like we've had a connection, like we're in relationship with the healer, Jesus himself. We say we're a Christian, but our lives don't reflect it. We're simply the paralytic. And no one will ever believe in the God that you claim and the healer that you claim 
if your life doesn't reflect it, that you are in relationship with him. And so I, I just want you to know tonight that I think some of us uh, may be in Christ and we feel like we're, we're just not, we're not in a place where we feel the joy of our salvation is, is the words I would use. We don't feel like we're living in freedom. We do feel like we're living lame. And what I would invite you to do tonight is turn to Psalm 51 because I think David came to a similar place where he had to ask God to renew a right spirit within himself to restore him to the joy of his salvation. That may be the prayer for some of us believers tonight that we're quick to be like notes on how to be a better friend, but we're not as quick to be put ourselves in the position of the paralyzed man. That may actually be so many of us tonight. But we don't tend to jump to that position. And so, again, if, if you are in that position and you're in Christ and you're like, man, I need to be restored, I'd invite you to turn to Psalm 51 and ask for the Lord to restore you to the joy of your salvation so that you don't no longer live lame. So that our lives reflect the glory of God. Christians should be, should be the stinking most fun people on the planet. I was meeting with a friend the other day. He's actually here tonight. He ran into me tonight. And, he, and we were talking and he was like, Dale, I, I just want you to know that I have Snapchat. And all of my Christian friends on Friday night are really, really lame. And I, I, truthfully, I don't know if you use the word lame, but it fits well with this. And so... He's like, they're all just boring. But all my friends that are like, nah, Jesus, like, I don't need Jesus. I'm just going to do my own thing. Those are the ones that they're having a blast, or at least it looks like they're having way more fun. And so I just want you to know that this story is pointing us to the fact that we should live like free men and women. We should be the most, we should have we should be carrying our mats everywhere we go and we should be the most fun people ever. Why? Because the, 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 the maker of this world has come into our lives and said, you're forgiven and you're free. Live like it. Reflect it. You know me. I said, let there be light and there was light. I said, let there be day and night and there was day and night. That's the person we know. That's the person we claim to be in relationship with. That's not... There's nothing lame about that. And so tonight, I I just want to ask us, first I ask us, are we being the friends we're called to be? The second question is, are we living the lives of freedom that we're called to live in? Are we living out the healing that we've been given, forgiveness that we've been given through Christ? Let's keep going. The last group of people that we're going to look at tonight is is those people that are in authority. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a few things and remind you of what was going on in here having to do with authority. The scribes were sitting there. Je- Jesus saw the faith of the friends, and he said to the paralytic, Sons, Son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sons are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Verse 10, let's focus here, right here. 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. I want you to know, in verse 10 to 11, as Jesus is saying, so that you guys will know the authority of the Son of Man on earth to forgive sins. This is mid-sentence in the Greek. He turned and said to the paralytic, almost immediately, it would seem, in the Greek, I say to you, rise, take up your mat, your sins are forgiven. I love this, that mid-sentence, he is saying, I will prove to you that I have the authority. And here's why he has to do this, because we don't, we don't know these things. I wouldn't have known it if I hadn't have had to spend time studying this. And the reality was that as Jesus was claiming to forgive sins, he was claiming to be God. As Jesus was claiming to forgive sins, he was claiming to be God. Because the Jews and the scribes and of the day didn't expect the Messiah to come in and say that, didn't expect the Messiah to come in and forgive sins. In the Old Testament, only God forgives sins. So what Jesus is saying is, I forgive you. And what the scribes are saying is, how can he say that? Wait, he can't say that. If Jesus had said, I'm God in that moment, they could have killed him then. They could have put him on a cross then. But Jesus knew he could only partially reveal himself to this group of people, but he knew the words to say to, to show everyone around that he is God. And then what Jesus does is, is he says, first, your sins are forgiven to the paralytic, but then he heals the paralytic. And what I love about this is that Jesus did the miracle they could see so that they would know he had done the miracle that they could not see. It's easy to say, your sins are forgiven. Can't be verified. But if I said, it's raining outside. I'm going to make it rain outside. Somebody could verify that. You can verify. That's a tangible thing that could be checked on. And Jesus is saying, hey, you guys don't believe me that I can forgive sins, but I'm going to prove I can be healed. Paralytic. Jesus is verifying his claim to be God. And the reason why I close with the authority tonight is because I think so many of us are going to quickly take away, let's be better friends and let's live in freedom. And those are good things. But Jesus is the one that focused on the authority here. Let's not just miss the very thing that Jesus himself said. He said, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he goes ahead and heals the paralytic. Jesus himself shows us what he's trying to say. And so each and every week we come here, we look at the Bible, and too often, myself included, even as we leave here when we open our Bibles, we just make it all about us. And I want you to know there's a far greater takeaway tonight, and it's that Jesus is the authority. He is God. He has the authority to forgive sins, and when he dies on the cross, it will matter that he has that authority for every single one of us in this room. That's why it's important.
And so, as I said earlier, we're starting a new series called Pebbles. And it's silly. But I have this friend of mine who I look up to in Dallas who trained me in a lot of different things. Uh, and primarily Bible study. <laughs> his name is Blake Holmes. And um, he's a genius. He knows his Bible like the back of his hand. He is one of the, um, he's just like one of my spiritual heroes. And every time I was with him, he would always say, your goal in teaching is to give people a pebble in their shoe. And what's funny is I never remembered a single thing that he's ever taught. But I remember the pebble in the shoe that he always told me about. It's kind of a bad illustration. But the reality is, I love the idea of having a pebble in our shoe. Because if you were here last week, we talked about guarding our hearts. And if you were like me, you left here and about on Wednesday, you forgot what you heard. I forgot what I said. We didn't live it out, possibly. Maybe you are living it out by guarding yourself each and every day. Maybe that is the way you've been doing it. But for most of us, I think we have a tendency to open God's word, read it, forget about it. Come to vertical, open God's word, read it, forget about it. Go to church on Sunday, open God's word, read it, forget about it. And so the reason why I'm bringing this to you tonight and, and we're starting this series called Pebbles is because we're going to all hand you, we're, we're going to get handed a pebble tonight. I can't get it out of my pocket within a pocket. Um, everyone's going to get a pebble. And here's the deal. You're probably going to lose this pebble this week. I'm going to encourage you. Try not to lose this pebble this week. Don't put it in your shoe unless you're a crazy person. But put it in like your pocket. And what you'll realize is you'll hit it more often than you think. And you'll think, man, that's, that's the pebble in my pocket. What, what was the pebble from vertical? And I'm going to invite you to, to think through is your pebble tonight, how can I be a better friend? Is your pebble tonight, how can I live in freedom? If you don't know what your pebble is, this is the pebble I would encourage for tonight. Does my life reflect the fact that Jesus has the authority of God? Because if Jesus has the authority, you can shorten that in your own little version, I think. I, I think I wrote something shorter. Let me read it. Is Christ the authority of my life? You can write that down. And you go, that's such a weird question to think about. I can't even remember the word authority. I don't even get good vibes when I think of the word authority, right? We're millennials. Forget authority, right? That's like the new thing. But here's the reality. Is Christ the authority of my life? If we ask ourselves that question each and every day, that's what Jesus is emphasizing in this passage. And if we ask ourselves that question each and every day, then that might lead us to be better friends to people. Because Jesus is only worth taking our friends to him because he is the authority. He is God himself. He has the authority to forgive sins, and he did it on the cross for us. That's why that's the pebble. If he's the authority, then we would bring our friends to him. If he's the authority, then we would live in freedom. We would have restoration to the joy of our salvation. We would live in that. So if one of those first two questions was the pebble you were going to walk with this week, I just encourage you, consider, is Christ my authority? Because if he's not, then his death on the cross wasn't worthy. It didn't do anything. It wasn't significant. 
it wouldn't have counted if he didn't have the authority to forgive our sins. In our lives, we would have no hope. And that's why it matters. And I know it's not that cool to emphasize authority, but that's what Jesus does. And I don't want us to just open the Bible and talk about the relevant portions and, and miss the very thing that Jesus emphasized himself. I think it would be a disservice to you if I were to have done that tonight. So just trust me in that. As we ask ourselves the question, I'll close with this as the band's coming up. As we ask ourselves the question, is Christ the authority of my life? I want us, I want us to understand That authority, as I said, has, has these negative connotations these days. Some of us have had authorities that have been absent from our lives. Some of us have teachers that we get frustrated with. Let's just be honest. We have, um, you know, people we have to answer to in work. One day when you work, there will be people you don't want to answer to authority-wise. That's why entrepreneurship is such a cool thing these days. Everyone wants to work for themselves. That's why I majored in entrepreneurship. Authority just has this negative connotation. But what I want you to realize is that when it comes to this word authority, there's either two responses from this word authority tonight. Because Christ is the authority and he has the authority to forgive sins, we can either be in allegiance to him or we can be in rebellion to him. There's really, there's really two, two responses to his authority. And I just want you to know that if you have allegiance to him, then it changes everything in our lives. It changes the way we're friends to people, changes the way we serve people, changes the way we give away our time to people. We'll do anything. We'll, 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 we'll take the time to put people on the roof and then lower them through the roof. We don't care what people think. That changes the way we treat other people. When Christ is our authority and we have allegiance to him and it changes the way we live ourselves, it gives us freedom from bondage, gives us freedom from even the stuff that we did this weekend. It gives us authority to speak into other people's lives, freedom that comes in Christ Jesus. And so I just want you to know that because of my allegiance to Christ, I can tell each and every one of you tonight that you are forgiven, not because of me, but because of Jesus and what he's done on the cross. And you can share that same good news with everyone on this campus. On your campus, if you go to TSCC or MCC, every campus in the city of Waco needs it. And not just college students, everyone needs this. So don't let the word authority, just don't, don't, don't put authority to the side. Understand the implications and the impact of allegiance to it. and let it change your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for being the authority, giving us a rock to stand on so that when the storms of life come, when stage four stomach cancer comes to Nabil, we can trust in the hope of glory that you forgive sins and there is hope beyond this life.
Lord, I pray that tonight we would leave with a pebble in our pocket, a pebble in our shoe. Lord, help us to not just continue to be these people that come to these Christian gatherings to fill ourselves up and make us feel good about ourselves. Lord, help us to come to this place and learn more about you and worship you. Lord, may time in your word and time worshiping you change our lives. May it change the way that we're friends to people. May it change the way that we live in freedom. May we no longer live lame. May our life be compelling to the fact that we have been set free. Lord, I ask for your kingdom to come at Baylor University, at MCC, and at TSCC. And I ask that in Jesus' name.